No mountain is high enough to keep us from it. No river is deep enough to keep us from it. No ocean is vast enough to drown us. Lord, we thank you that those things actually are pictures of your love and not obstacles to it. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of living in America. We pray, Lord, for a revelation of your love and and the truth that is behind your love. We cannot forget the priority of the love of God. Amen. I had a dream this week. Greg and I were somewhere. Is a different culture. Very well could be Granberry, a different culture in Granberry. It could be another part of the world. But in this culture, they were celebrating Christianity with debauchery and happy about it. They had a church where they had wild parties and all kinds of things. And, and so they were describing this to us, and I was ready to rebuke them. My righteous indignation got up. How dare you steal Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And Greg said, hold on, hold on, let's hear him out. They said, yeah, we've been doing these things, and we're not happy. Could you take this property, these facilities, and use them for the real thing? (laughs) And I woke up and I said, Lord, help us to understand that as the world paves the way for more and more debauchery, there's going to be more and more sickness, more and more problems, more and more darkness. This is going to make the church shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. We don't want to compromise and lose our grasp of the truth, but we've got to remember the love is, is what the truth's all about. Amen? First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through verse 17. Before we read those, I'd like to go back into chapter 2. I believe that he starts what he's saying in verse 8. He starts in verse 11 of chapter 2, and then he breaks off to talk about submission to government, submission to our employers, and then husbands and wives' relationship. He says, Beloved, in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, we're on a journey, aren't we? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There's things, there's bents, there's pronenesses, there's appetites we have that are not good for us. And may the Lord help us not to be rebellious and try to unite ourselves, identify ourselves as though we have a new gender. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. And then he goes into relationships and how how we are to live as employers and as citizens and as married couples between husbands and wives. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. You ever wanted to give somebody a piece of your mind? Don't do it. You need your mind whole and intact. We're called not to be retaliatory, but we're called to be people that bless. Bless those who curse you, Jesus said. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Anybody blessed in the house want to be blessed? For, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Anybody want their prayers answered? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Sometimes the resistance we face in the world isn't the enemy's kingdom. It's God resisting us. Verse 13, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Some people will, but who is that person? It's definitely not God. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats. He's quoting another verse from the Old Testament. Nor be troubled. But, verse 15, sanctify or set apart the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You do evil, you will eventually suffer. The wages of sin is death. Sin has pleasure, but it just lasts for a season. And if you live right, you may suffer, but it's temporary. It's not long term. Homing in on these verses for our text today, the last part of verse 15 says, Always be ready to give a defense. Can we say defense? defense. To everyone. Can we say everyone? everyone? Who asks you a reason. Can we say reason? For the hope. Can we say hope? That is in you. Can we say me? With meekness. Can we say self-control? And fear. Can we say respect? Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Sometimes a lie goes around the world while truth is putting her shoes on. But when the truth starts marching, it all comes out in the wash. Can I get an amen? amen. Speaking to you today in the Mantra series, we, took, we did a survey to look for the top 12 statements that people say to encourage themselves, empower themselves, or empower others, or, or statements of comfort. The statement today from these top 12 statements is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Can we say that? What in the world does that have to do with our text? Well, it has to do with being ready to give a defense for well, the reason for the hope that is in us to everyone who asks us. When someone who's an unbeliever asks you a hard question, you can respond with this. Well, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But you're not going to impress an unbeliever because they're going to say, oh, you're closed-minded, are you? This has been one of your mantras. It's been one of your statements. I'm not wanting to destroy it. I want to build on it. Living by what God says is very important. It does settle the matter. But yet we have a testimony, don't we? We have biblical truth, do we not? So when people ask us reasons, we've got to be prepared. Be ready. Can we say ready? We've got to be ready. So here's the famous bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. 
someone improved on it. God said it. That settles it whether we believe it or not. And I like this one. God didn't say it. I don't believe it. Nothing's settled. I thought it was funny. (laughs) Then there's a more liberal statement. It wouldn't fit on a bumper sticker, so someone put it on a T-shirt. God said it. I interpreted it as best I could in light of all the filters imposed by my upbringing and culture, which I try to control, but you can never do a perfect job. That doesn't exactly settle it, but it does give me enough of a platform to base my values and decisions on. Can you say yada, yada, yada? Here's my favorite one. God said it. That settles it. Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21. Or the table of contents to the book of maps. God said it. That settles it. Sounds good, doesn't it? We do believe that the scriptures are inspired by God. Holy men of God wrote as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we do call the scriptures God's word. But hold your horses. Every statement in here wasn't necessarily said by God. There are statements in here the devil said. There are statements in here unbelievers said. There are statements in here corrupt people said. But the book as a whole was inspired by God to be written so that we could hear all of the stories in it and believe the truth that is revealed. And within this book, are promises from God for us to claim and us to live by and principles to live by. But just because someone quotes to you Job 21.39 or something, don't take that to the bank. Go and see who said it because God showed up at the end of that book and said, none of y'all know what you're talking about. So the majority of the book of Job is not God's word per se. It is God's word, but God is not the one saying it. His comforters are saying it, and they're being inspired by the enemy who's not allowed to attack Job anymore, so he's putting thoughts in their mind, and they're the ones doing the job. So why is it in the Bible? The story is an awesome story, and God inspired the writers to write it. So God inspired the Bible, and in the Bible that he inspired is his infallible word, that you can take to the bank and that you can live by. But there's words in here that wicked people said as well. You've got to study to show yourself approved. Amen? Somebody was preaching on healing. And a person approached the preacher afterwards and says, I don't know if I believe that. Because the Bible says, skin for skin, what will a man give for his skin? He said, excuse me, but uh, do you realize who said that? And open it, and it was something Satan said. It's in the Bible. but So just to live by the mantra, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, is a little bit shallow. It can be. It depends on how you apply it. So we have three points today. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So first point, God said it. What does that mean? Does it mean the Holy Bible communicates it? Is it biblical? There's a lot of voices out there saying God said something and God didn't say it. You can turn on your Christian TV during telethons. You really don't need to watch those telethons. There's all sorts of heresy being taught. You know, there's a 30-day extension on the Passover blessing. If you want your angel for the next 12 months, get in on it. The 30 days is almost up. 
Sow your seed. $2,500 for a new anointing times 10. That's not the Word of God. And maybe some really well-known authors who would never do that are turning into false teachers. So just because your favorite guy says it, don't lose your anchor in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. Amen? And by all means, you need to know if Jesus commands it. Because there's, there's words in this book that say to stone sinners. But Jesus says, he that is without sin casts the first stone. He came and brought a better covenant. Which brings us to our next point. If God said it, does the New Testament confirm what you believe God says? The Old Testament's full of a lot of great stuff, but also some scary things. But Jesus came and brought us a better covenant. The New Covenant. So don't get sucked into buying trinkets and prayer shawls and, and all different kinds of stuff that's dragging you back into the Old Testament. we got a better testament. Amen? The cross happened. The, the, the law was fulfilled in Christ on the cross. The law only leads to death. It can save no one. It's our schoolmaster that points us to Christ. So God did say that stuff. But it all ultimately led to His very Word made flesh in Jesus. So everything is filtered through Jesus. Now the rest of the New Testament, besides the words of Jesus, were written by people He taught. One of whom is unique, Paul, that He personally appeared to. He, by revelation, revealed some incredible things to Paul. And it all flows together in great harmony in the New Testament. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. In Matthew 24, 35, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. John 6, 63, the Lord said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. In John 8, 31, he continues, if you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it sounds real religious to say, I believe the Bible, but are you, are you abiding in the Bible? Is the Bible making you free, or are you just saying that you're free? You with me? We're talking about reality beyond the level of religion and mental assent and emotional acquiescence, we're talking about truth that we understand and that we're, that we're walking in, that we're growing in the Lord without watering down anything, but truly understanding it. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us, Be diligent, the old King James says, Study to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or correctly applying the word of truth. There are certain religions out there, Christian religions, that will take you on a rabbit trail through the New Testament, hopping and jumping back and forth and not taking it as a whole. And they're teaching things that other verses contradict. And when you bring up those other verses, they'll say, yes, but what about? And then they'll quote some other one to push their theory. So we need to know the whole Scriptures. Don't get caught up in someone's rabbit trail. I believe there are threads of truth throughout the Scriptures where you can move from chapter to chapter and book to book. But 
if it's the truth, it won't contradict the rest of the book. Amen? God said it. Did He really say it or are you saying it? Or do you want Him to say it? Second Peter, we read this earlier, chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we believe that the Scriptures trump all revelations in the world, and especially current revelations. I've got a guy that has a personal revelation of salvation, the 27 steps to becoming saved, and for $395 he'll sell those steps to you. Because a worker is worthy of his hire. He calls himself the apostolic prophet. Has a doctrine of divinity from a university in India where he has never been. So there's all sorts of people out there that will seek to lead you astray, make you part of their personal cult. And the Lord, His Spirit lives within you if you're a believer. And you've got a Bible, read it for yourself and check. I don't care if I say it. Check it out. Does the New Testament as a whole communicate what you hear being said. I believe it. Do you really believe what God said or are you saying you believe? Does your life reflect what you believe? James, the brother of Jesus, wrote chapter 2, verse 26 of his letter, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith produces works. By grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And he goes on in that statement in Ephesians that it is God in us that who wills to do the will of God. So faith that saves us is faith that produces works inside of our life. So if we believe what God said, there's going to be an impact on our life. Can I get an amen? Do your words say what you believe? Oh, yes, my words are lined up with the Word of God. Are they lined up 24-7? If somebody makes you mad, do you suddenly forget what you believe? The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So what we believe determines what we say in the long run. What we believe in our heart, we will confess with our mouth. It just will happen. You may think you believe, but when the test comes, faith is proven by the fire. James 3.10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So what we believe ultimately determines what we say. Now, you may say some good things, you may say some biblical things, but does your life as a whole say those things? What do you get when you mix salt water with fresh water? Salt water. At the best, brackish water, which is actually salt water. But God, His Word is pure. He wants our words to be fresh. So I don't want anybody to be condemned, but I want us to to realize that just saying we believe something doesn't mean we do. (laughs) God said it. That does settle it. Believing it is important. But I want to make sure that we do believe what we say we believe. 
You know, recently there Pew Research did a poll and determined there's been a huge reduction in the number of people that are identifying themselves as Christians. Is the church losing ground? No. People have just been lying for decades about them being Christians. I was always suspicious of the numbers when I heard 67, 68% Christian in America. I just thought, well, something's messed up. Uh, First Baptist Church back during the Jesus Video Project in the 90s here in Granbury did a door-to-door survey and determined from that survey that 18% of the people they met over a period of several weeks, 18% of the people they met claimed to go to church. 18%, 68%? Just because you're born in America doesn't mean you're a Christian. You can be born in America, but you have to be born again to be a Christian. Amen. So I'm not discouraged by Pew Research polls and statistics and all that. Who knows how much truth is in it. I'm not discouraged by the great decline. I'm actually encouraged. People are stopping their lying and hiding behind falsehoods. Let the unbelief come to the surface so that they can be helped. We have to confess the truth with where we are so the Lord can help us. So I'm actually encouraged by it. God said it, I believe it. Does my believing bring glory to God? Do my words bring glory to God? Does my obedience bring glory to God? Or does it express self-righteousness? Does it express a haughtiness or a pridefulness that me and Jesus got our own thing going or I've got my own private revelation going on here? Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, to let your light so shine before men. Can we say shine? How? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. May our works give God glory, not us glory. If you do something great and God gets a glory and no one gives you any recognition, it might hurt. But in reality, isn't that what we're after anyway? God who sees in secret will reward you openly. We read this earlier, 1 Peter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What is that day of visitation? It can be considered the day of salvation. It can be considered the day of judgment. It's when God visits. They're going to give him glory because your life has had an impact leading to their conversion, I believe is the fulfillment of this principle. Now, glorifying God with our obedience isn't all hard work. It can actually be fun. I love to talk to atheists about the Lord. There's just, I feel the pleasure of God when it happens. And the funnest conversation I ever had with an atheist was one named Jesus. Oh, was that fun. Steve Joy was in Cologne, Germany this week and crossed paths with our missionaries with European Initiative in Cologne. And here's a team of Americans doing the Cupid Shuffle to draw a crowd so that they can tell them about Jesus. Fun. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. How is this works? This is works in the sense that people...
who like to dance will come and join them and dance with them. And other people that like to watch dance will come and watch them. And when the song's over, conversations are started. Every single one of these people in this group that's a believer will stir up a conversation with an unbeliever. If there's an opportunity to share their testimony, they'll do it. And this is in post-Christian Europe. Isn't this awesome? This is great. If you believe it, does your obedience reflect it in a way that glorifies God if you believe His Word? And he said, go into all the world and be a witness. That settles it. This is the huge one to me. If God said it, it is settled. But when we say it, what does that mean? Does that mean I don't want to talk anymore? Does that mean I don't want to listen to you? Does that mean you're not worthy of my attention and consideration what you have to say? That settles it. Or does that mean it's settled? Let me tell you why. There's security in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I have three questions that go with this point that settles it. If you believe God said it and you believe it and that settles it, does that mean you're settled on a point in time when God's going to fulfill His promise to you? And when it doesn't happen the way you think, you're going to get mad at God? Or does your sense of timing reflect God's sense of timing, which is completely different than human time? Peter wrote in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 8, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing. Say, do not forget. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Let's just think a little bit mathematical. I'm not doing this to give you a formula, but just to give you a sense of God's relationship to time. To him, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's not tied to time like we are. So if a day is like a thousand years, how many days are in a thousand years? Well, 365 days in a year, but every fourth year is a leap year, right? So you could say it like this. There's 365.25 or 365 and a quarter days every year, right? Times a thousand. So a thousand years is 365,250 days, right? So... To the Lord, a day is like 365,250 days, and 365,250 days is like a day to the Lord. That being the case, what is a second to the Lord? A second to the Lord is like 365,250 seconds. Well, what is 365,250 seconds? Pull out your calculator and you'll find out it's 4.23 days. So... A second to the Lord is like 4.23 days. And four and basically a quarter days is like a second to the Lord. If it's settled, are you allowing God to be the Lord of time in your life and willing to endure however long it takes for your prayers to be answered? And your faith's not going to be shaken. Is your faith in God or in your sense of time? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Does that mean that you judge people who don't have the same faith that you have? Well, brother, it's settled. What's the matter with you? If you had more faith, if you were more like me. Galatians 6, one. Paul wrote, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, let's say it's a trespass of unbelief. If a brother is taken in a trespass of unbelief, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Can we say gentleness? Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Jesus said it like this, judge not, lest you also be judged. How many people have gotten all high and mighty and judgmental and wound up in the same sin themselves? I remember a certain TV preacher saying another TV preacher was a cancer on the body of Christ and needed to be removed. And it wasn't a year before he got exposed. Lord knows we all need grace. May we be gracious toward one another. It is settled, yes, but we're not settled as much as we think we are. And so we've got to help settle one another on the promises of God, the principles of the kingdom, the word, the things God said. And finally, this is my first closing, hopefully my last one. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. When you hear that, does that mean you've made your mind up, you've arrived, and there's no more room to grow? I know my Redeemer lives. I know in whom I have believed. I'm ready. Is there humility in that? God's Word is forever settled in heaven, but we are not. We are being settled. Amen? We have not arrived. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he goes on in verse 9 and says, Lament and mourn and weep. In verse 10 he says, Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord and He will lift you up. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But I've got room to grow as I grow in Christ. Sitting in this room today are senior citizens who've served the Lord for many years. And they're still growing. Their humility is astonishing. Their faith is like a rock that cannot be shaken, and yet their heart is like clay, pliable in the hands of their Maker. May the Lord help us not to be the opposite, hard-hearted on quicksand. The Lord give us thick skin with tender hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everything that you have said. And thank you, Lord, it's forever settled in heaven. And thank you, Lord, that you're opening our eyes to your revelation and that you have settled us in your kingdom. In you, we are assured of eternal life. But, Lord, between now and the fulfillment of all your promises, we are growing in you. Help us, Lord, to be ready to give a reason to everyone who asks us why we are believers, why we have hope. And, Lord, help our reasons to be more than just some mantra that we chant. But, Lord, may we be effective in defending the faith and expressing your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to end with a declaration that I believe the Bible with all my heart The things I said earlier, somebody could take out of context and leave here saying Alan Ladd is nothing but a liberal. Not true at all. I'm just telling the truth. So I just want to reassure anybody that maybe 
didn't catch everything I said because something I said got your attention and you didn't hear anything else. We do believe the Bible here. Our statement of faith declares something like we believe the Scriptures are inspired by God and that they are infallible when rightly understood. Our understanding often is fallible. God's Word is infallible. What if someone made a trailer like they do for movies, made a trailer for the Bible? Somebody did. Here it is. From the creator of all creation. And the one who brought you life. Comes a story 1,500 years in the making. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Jeremiah says, it's like a hammer breaking the rock in pieces. It's your front row seat to the greatest story ever told. do you have? The Bible is the most purchased, revered book that's never read in all the world. Challenge you. Start reading your Bible. How do I do that? It's so big. It's not really that big. Just read a chapter a day or read till something speaks to you and stop and think about that for the rest of the day. Are you hungry? For $4.99 plus a penny. You can have a hamburger. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.